Broadcasting from the third coast and recorded live at Tripod South Studios, this is The Hango Show. I need to get inside your head. I got to know if you insane. I want to swim around your bloodstream. Hidden. I know. I had to look and see which one went where. Oh, man. Because I'm an idiot. Well, you said it, not me. You know, that's how I roll. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hango Show. This is your host, Hango Wood. And tonight, against my better judgment, I came back in here with with, with uh, my lesser half. My, Are you recording? Yeah, I'm recording. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> uh, my beautiful wife, Tinker, is here. How are you doing, Tink? You know, I'm glad we're getting, you know, it's almost Friday. Oh, it is Friday. Well, it is Friday. For me. Oh, my Friday night. We hadn't done this in a while. I had to get back with her and say, hey, I needed, I needed some more Tinker Explains. There's a lot of history here we hadn't have it covered. And you tell me what we're doing tonight. And I'm excited. And I'm also kind of surprised. This is a... Very modern for me. Very Extremely modern. Extremely modern for me. Very modern take. So where are we going and what year are we starting in? Well, this is kind of a heavy, deep topic. So I'm going to kind of do a general overview because you could a little fly over yeah you could i'm not going to get bogged down too much in dates or anything because you could you can go very deep on this topic you could go very deep a lot of when you tell me what we're doing i said well holy shit where are you going to start because this goes back centuries yes but i'm just going to talk about the modern right the tail end of for me modern some people (laughs) would probably argue 100 plus years ago not so modern very very modern but yes it goes back honestly you could go back to the 1100s when all this started later in some in some places well that's no no 1100s but right yeah that's that's about there yeah because that was the first time but um I don't know. There's some one thing I saw on the news recently, and then there's a TV show that's kind of that I adore that follows along these lines. And um, oh, I also did a paper in college, kind of along these lines. Um, and it's kind of been a topic, I think, because of my ignorance of it that I've been very interested in. It's very, but it's very on and off with me. I get very hot and cold with topics. But I would say the majority of people especially in our generation, have no idea about this. I don't know. They might, because of what happened in... So we're talking about Northern Ireland. Right. The troubles around the Northern troubles. Ireland. The um, troubles. I don't know, because the peace agreement was in 1998, and I mm-hmm. remember that. I do, too. But I was familiar with, with everything we'll, before that. Yeah, but I think most of people our age, still, when you think of a place like Belfast, you think... Well, you think I'll never go there. That's completely strange. That like you'll get blown up, and I think it still kind of has that connotation. I think people our age still have still weren't plugged into news like you and I were growing up. I don't know. I think Belfast or Northern Ireland, or maybe people would just assume it's all of Ireland, right. which was not necessarily always the case. Well, I think a lot of people think that Ireland is just the whole island. When it's, no, it's I agree not. with that. Now, there are people in Northern Ireland who would argue that point and say, we're not Ireland. Yeah. But um, it does. This is a topic that you can go back, really, to the British invasion of Ireland in the 1100s-ish. Um, it was after, it was the Norman invasion of Ireland. Previous to that, I mean, 
Ireland and England, you know, they're very aware of each other. There was a lot of trading, especially amongst, you know, the Welsh and all that, where you still had your Britannic and Celtic peoples. But um, even St. Patrick was actually English. He was not Irish. Why are you hanging on to that? I don't know. Like, I'm scared it's going to fly. It's not going to fly. It's right there. But um, he, he was English. So, I mean, there were those ties there, really. And then you had the Vikings, which invaded in, in Ireland and were actually the founders of Dublin. It was not an actual city before then. But there's been a lot of ongoing rebellions, revolutions, whatever, in Ireland, basically since the 1100s. And it kind of came to a culmination in 1916. Um, people may remember the year 1916 from the song Zombie by the Cranberries, where it says it's the same old thing since 1916. Yep. Uh, but that was the Easter Rising, um, was led by really James Connolly. Mm-hmm who himself was actually a Scottish-born Irishman, spoke with a Scottish accent until the day he was executed. Um, But it was started, it was in a paper, right before a couple of weeks or maybe a day or so before Easter. I had really have to look at that. And there was a code in this paper saying they were going to do an Easter parade and maneuvers. And that was their way of communicating with the other people and the it wasn't what we know of as the IRA now. I think it was called the Irish Republican Brotherhood, IRB. Right. And that's how they told people all across Ireland, hey, we're fixing to rebel. You know, you need to come down here. And it flew completely under the radar. But there was some miscommunication on that part, too, which is part of the reason a lot of these Irish Republican Brotherhood, the IRB, didn't necessarily show up in Dublin because there was some miscommunication and misunderstanding. But um, after, was it nine days, ten days? It was just a few days. It wasn't very long. The The revolution, the Easter Rebellion, failed. Um, and to me, this is one of, it's a very interesting, these are true leaders. Because the leaders of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, basically surrendered instead of dying to the last man they said we don't want any more innocent irish people because in dublin it was flat-out warfare the they had buildings that were completely demolished you can go to dublin now to what they call the gpo the general post office it was kind of their headquarters and you can still see the bullet holes and the shell attacks there and they keep it there as a reminder which I think I, I love that idea. I do too. That, I do too. They're very proud. They're, they, people they should can take be proud. their kids and grandkids and say, "You see these bullet holes? This is what we had to endure yeah. to get some freedom." Yeah. I, I, that's what I've always said. In America, it seems like every time a tragedy happens, we just bulldozer over mm-hmm. it and build something new—a parking lot or, or a quote-unquote memorial or a new building or something. Save paradise. You put up a parking. Okay, this ain't this ain't uh, sing along. Anyway. You're welcome. Um, I, I like the idea that when something is sacrificed to gain something for the betterment of the people, that yeah. they keep those bullet holes and and broken uh, the statues down down Connolly Drive. There, disclaimer: we have been to Dublin. Yes, <laughs> highly recommend it. I think for a first trip, you, you can spend a whole week in Dublin and oh, not see everything easily, and go to the Guinness Storehouse once a day. Yes, but um. 
I highly recommend it. I say a second trip if you go to Ireland, spend it out in the countryside. But the history and it's a beautiful city. Beautiful city, but it's wonderful people, wonderful people ravaged time and time again with violence. And Starting with the Vikings <laughs> in, <laughs> in the 800s. Just like just modern violence alone. You know, I always thought that, you know, for a long time, I thought the IRA had a noble cause. Um, That's interesting because my paper in college argued why the IRA was not justified in their in their domestic in their acts of domestic terrorism. Yeah, that's um because that's basically it was on both sides, though. After doing a lot of reading, I'm like, oh, well. No one here was in the right. No, everybody was in the wrong. Everyone was in the wrong. And it's so sad because it would have been one thing if the IRA was actually targeting the paramilitary groups from England or or from Northern Ireland or whatever. But it became just broad strokes, bombing and bloodshed all over the place. Well, you think about it, it's very similar to the jihadists you see today. And, you know, not too terribly different, in all honesty. Different flavor of religions, you know, you yep. see that between the Shiite and Sunni Muslims that massacre each other. And here well, we're dealing with Protestants, Protestants and Catholics, and, Catholics. It's the same. and their form of Protestantism, the Church of England, it's, is Catholic like. Right. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> the only difference is they don't have the Pope. So there's really. two different groups fighting over a slightly different catechism, you know. And of course, a lot of that. Well, is, a lot of a it, lot of that is marred in it's ethnic in, in, too. In ethnic cleansing and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's definitely ethnic. So wait, start us off. Okay, so we get through this. So um, James Connolly, who was kind of the leader of this or these group, he was actually injured during all these battles. I, and I believe he was at the GPO where the heaviest mm-hmm. fighting was, um, and he had to um, actually turn over power to a man called Patrick Pierce or Padrig, which is actually the Irish version of Patrick P-A-D-R-A-I-G I think. Yeah. And um, Patrick Pierce came to the point where he's, because uh, there were more, I think, civilian casualties than uh, uh, casualties between the, and I'm going to use the term rebels, because at that they point were. that's what they were, yes. and yeah. the British Army. Also, and, I would like to say if you're interested in kind of understanding what it was like that that day um there's this old irish song called the foggy dew which describes what happened mm-hmm. that day i know Sinead o'connor did a cover of it and it's beautiful oh some of that irish folk um, singing is beautiful so if, if you're interested look up the foggy dew uh the dubliners sang it Sinead o'connor sang it the young dubliners sang it you can find it anywhere anyway go ahead so he decided, that's it, I'm not going to have any more innocent men, women, children, non-combatants dying for this cause. Like, this is defeating my purpose. I want to protect Ireland, not destroy it. So they surrendered. Uh, it was a group, I think it was, one, two, three, one, two, three, seven, about ten, that... um. They actually arrested around four or five hundred. Mm-hmm. I think it was four around four fifty. And out of that, most of those were acquitted. But the, there was a group of ten, and they are the ones who signed what was called uh, the Irish petition or Irish. Gosh, I'm getting all my terms mixed up because everything changes so frequently. But it was basically their Declaration of Independence, and there were ten people that signed it. And actually, when they signed it. 
one of the people who signed it said nobody else needs to worry. Any only the people who signed this will be shot. They knew they they were knew they were going to their death. So most everybody was either acquitted or served jail time, which I'll get into in just a little bit. That that was no cakewalk either. No. Um, and they decided to execute these ten. They it was over four days, and it was like three, three, one, four. It was something like that. But the next to last one to be executed was James Connolly, who had been injured, and they had actually moved him to a hospital after they took him into custody. And honestly, I've actually read recently they probably didn't expect him to live more than a day or two with his injuries. But the British didn't want to give him that chance to die naturally. So they took him to Kamenum Jail, tied him to a chair, and executed him. And we've been there. We, we, we Kill- toured Kilmainham Jail. We, we saw the grounds where they did the firing squads. Mm-hmm. Um, they take you out to it. I it's a highly very, recommend it. It's a very, very sad place. It, it's so sad. Just make sure there are no tourists from Wisconsin there yes, when you go. Yes, because they will never shut up. Go ahead. And they will argue with the tour guide. <laughs> But um, but I do. I highly recommend if you're ever in Dublin that Kilmainham Jail and jail is spelled G A O L was not a place we necessarily we didn't even know about it really. Right. I just thought, oh, this is probably an old building, and we went there, and I was well, absolutely. I knew what it was from watching uh the movie Michael Collins with Liam yes. Neeson. Very very great movie if you're interested in this at all. Um, Liam Neeson, who is from Northern, Northern Ireland. Ireland, right? Go ahead. But, but um. I highly recommend it if you're ever there. Do take the time. It's not somewhere where you're going to joke, laugh, have a no, good time. <laughs> but it is extremely educational, and it will humble you to th- – it, it is absolutely – I highly recommend it if you're ever there. Make sure to put that on your itinerary. So that happened. Um, after that, there were a few years where it was kind of – in limbo a little bit, I would say. But by 1921, they decided that's it. We're going to, we want to do an Irish free state. Right. Britain, not too happy about that, of no. course. But this is, you know, brink right after World War One. Not necessarily real hungry to go to war again. Well, that was a lot of the arguments about the 1916 uprising. Yeah. That- a lot of Why Irish people, people turned were, against them yes. because they felt like they were going against, not king and country, but we have our own we have, men. We have, we have bigger things to worry about right now. We have men mm-hmm. fighting in the mainland, Which and you're trying, you're trying to do this. Part of the reason they probably picked that time, too, right. in all honesty, because troops were tied Unless up. you're kind of tied up with something yeah. else. So, of course, bloodshed, blah, 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 blah. Won't get into too much of that because yet again depressing the just senseless slaughter. A lot of lot of just a lot of guerrilla fighting. Yes, yeah. yes, guerrilla warfare, absolutely. So they send Michael Collins. Well, at this time is a man called Eamon de Valera, who was kind of taken over as leader of a party called Sinn Fein. Sinn spelled S I N N, pronounced the Irish way, so Sinn and then Fein F E I N, and it was a very nationalistic party yes um and was kind of on the outer bands and was not widely accepted it was kind of on the fringes of society 
But after the loss of all these leaders of this other one, it kind of came, it became popular. And Eamon de Valera, who was also involved in in the Easter uprising, but kind of avoided any real repercussions for that because he was born in America to Irish parents. But he had American citizenship and Britain didn't want to piss off America, especially during that time when they were in the middle of war. So he kind of walked away unscathed. So he kind of moved to the forefront. Um, And right behind him was another man named Michael Collins, who was also a leader during the Easter Rebellion. Michael Collins was, in a lot of ways, the real leader of the cause. Well, he took, because Eamon de Valera did leave to go to America for a while um, to raise money and do things like that, because America was a huge supporter of the Irish rebels, not only... Because of shared ancestry, we have a lot of Irish. I mean, you think the famine was in 1840, so we're not even 100 years out from that. We're not even a generation removed from it. No, no. So you still have a lot of immigrants who remember. Um, but you also have that we're also a rebel country. So you feel that kinship. Well, the U.S. was the first country to recognize the, the Republic of Ireland, mm-hmm. the free state of Ireland. Yes, yes. So, but while Eamon de Valera was over here in America, Michael Collins kind of stepped in. And, you know, you have to think this is before cell phones and computers and everything. You know, at best, you might have a a wire, uh, a telegraph, and that's it. So he kind of stepped in to take over that that role of leader. Well, Eamon comes back. And, um... Michael Collins is sent as a delegate, basically, to London, to England, to kind of negotiate. Like, what are we going to do here? Like, we we are free, independent people. That's who we are. And there was a lot of argument back and forth. And I can't necessarily say England was necessarily wrong for their stance in this and that there are a lot of English Protestants in, in Ireland due to basically colonization of Ireland in the 1600s. Yep. So they felt as if we can't abandon our people. We can't abandon our Protestant English brothers. If we do, they'll be slaughtered. And I can't say they're wrong about that. Uh, you know, so... You could also say they shouldn't have been there to begin with. Yes, but after someone has been there for... Oh, I agree. 200 I, I years, that's your home. Yep. Just like me... Um, you know, my family's been here longer than 200 years, you know, <laughs> like it's the early 1700s. I don't consider myself English or, Scott or Scottish or, or, or German or, or whatever. Well, last time we were in the Bahamas, I was talking to some of the guys and they were having a big problem, not, not really a problem, a big debate in the Bahamas about all the Cubans who lived in the Bahamas who came there illegally, who've had families now, they're trying to deport generations of Cubans out of the Bahamas and most of the Bahamians are like they're not Cubans anymore. Those people are those people are are Bahamian. Well that's like Mexicans here in America. Exactly. Where, you know, they might have been here two or three generations. They they're American. Yep. They're not you may still have that pride. But um so they didn't want to leave their people there to be slaughtered. Can't say I blame them. Like they're trying to which it was a little bit of a control thing too. But so it kind of got to a stalemate between Michael Collins and the government of, of England. And they had a compromise. And it was really the... Looking back at that time, 
it was probably the best thing. Oh, it at was the, time. the right thing to do. If I'd have been Michael Collins, I would have done the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Just because he he loved Ireland, mm-hmm. he loved the Irish people. He just wanted the he wanted the bloodshed to stop. Yes, he didn't want any more of his people to die. Um, so that's where we come in with the partition of Ireland. This is where Northern Ireland comes in. What did Michael Collins say after he left the uh, assembly? Oh, uh, Jesus. Gentlemen, today I've signed my own death That's warrant. warrant. Yeah. Yep. He knew. He knew he was going to be killed after that because then you get your hardliners. Yep. Um, but originally it was going to be nine counties in Northern Ireland. They decided, mm, maybe not nine. Let's do six. If we do nine. Some, some Irish county might go rogue and want to join Ireland again. So we're going to do six counties so we can keep majority Protestants in Northern Ireland and they're still English. Now you have to, these <coughs> Pro- English Protestants are really, they're Irish Protestants at this point. They've been in Ireland so long, though they still consider themselves English. They act more English and British than the Queen of England does. You get, for those who don't know, there's 32 counties in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, 26 became the free state, the Republic, the free state of Ireland. And the, la- the other six are all like in the north, central, northeastern well, corner yeah. corner of Ireland. The very tippy top of Ireland is, is it's, the, the which six. it's not far from Scotland. No, it's, it's just what 20 a, miles across from Scotland. the sound there. Yeah, like not far at all. The interesting part is this Northern Ireland. Is common. You'll commonly hear it referred to as Ulster. Right. Um, this part of the Ulster was actually probably two, three hundred years before was the most Irish and re- re- rebellious <laughs> prone people. <laughs> but they they moved them out and yeah. did the plan. They moved in the Protestant settlers, even we, though this was this is where we all call the that lords ethnic were. cleansing. A little bit. <laughs> that's little that's bit. the correct term for it. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. So he signs this knowing He's this gonna is die. it for me. Yeah. I'm going to die. Someone's going to kill me. But he he did but this I, to bring peace and get an actual Irish Republic. It's one of those things, you know, would you sacrifice your, your pinky to save your hand? Yep. Probably. Probably. Um. So he signs this. His buddy, Eamon de Valera. Not happy. No. At this point, civil war breaks out because you have the people who refuse, who do not want to Ireland to be broken up. They would sacrifice the hand to save the pinky, basically. And unfortunately, it comes to the point where Michael Collins is assassinated and killed. Yeah, the IRA or the Irish mm-hmm. Republican Army becomes... Um, Oh the, God, that gets yeah, has so many versions it of the IRA. The it gets IRA confusing. And then the uh, provisional, provisional IRA, and then the official, and then the real. Well, now and then, there's about twenty different groups yeah. that claim, even today, about twenty to thirty different groups that still claim to be the the IRA. None of them are. None of them are. Not a single one of them. Um, but so we have that. But now we have our Irish Free Republic, and then we have Northern Ireland, which. This was always going to happen. Yep. There are hard lines in Northern Ireland. You're either Protestant British or Catholic Irish. And that is how they see themselves. So 
For a lot of them, it's their whole identity. Yes, 100% their whole identity. That would be like me being like, I'm a, a Methodist. I'm a Methodist Southerner. I, I am, um, yeah, Methodist Southerner. <laughs> that is all that I would identify myself right. as. So this, of course, is not an ideal situation because still at this time, and one of the reasons for the rebellion to begin with from the beginning in 1916 and prior to that, England has a lot of anti-Catholic laws that go back to the Reformation and King Henry VIII. Because they were now a Protestant nation. Let's be real, Catholic light nation. Um, they had all these where it dealt with... A popeless nation, if you will. Yes, a popeless nation. An Archbishop of Canterbury nation. <laughs> but um, they, they had all these rules, and it dealt with things like you could discriminate against people. You didn't have to, you know, treat people well. Like, just the absolute... Kind of like if you think of the Jim Crow South. Mm. That is kind of, I know it's not quite there. Apartheid. Yes, or apartheid. It's very much along those lines of you have your haves and your have-nots. Your have are the British Protestants, and then your have-nots are the Catholic Irish. Like a caste system almost. Yes, very much so. And even though, especially now, it's more and more the minority, the British Protestant, they still want to hold on to that power, you know. So... This happened, all this is happening, and it is going on for 40 years basically until the late 60s. And in the late 60s, these Irish, these Catholic Irish people start seeing the civil rights movement in America, and they are inspired by that because they see these African American leaders leading peaceful protests and making these huge changes. And they are very, very much inspired by that. And that was the big, kind of the beginning. They were going, that was the road they were going to go down was this Martin Luther King, you know, all these great sit-ins. Yes. Sit-ins. Yeah. Yes. Boycotts. Boycotts. That was the road they were going to go down. And then bloody Sunday happened. Yep. And several, Irish Catholics were killed by British soldiers. And other Irish Catholics were framed mm-hmm. as of doing the killing. And yes. they, had, they had guns planted on them, bombs planted on them by these paramilitary groups out of, out of England. Yes. So that was kind of your dividing point there and or turning point. Instead of continuing forward, which in my opinion, I think if they had, they probably would have had much quicker progress because people would have sympathized more. Also, around the world another great song bloody the u2 song bloody sunday was about this happening yes. um there's actually a, it was at a football match or a concert what's that i think it was a football match bloody sunday no it was in the streets at a protest was it? okay okay yeah, maybe i'm a, thinking of something else it was in then. a protest um if you'll watch their their live performance of bloody sunday from the rattle and hum uh concert video uh, you can find it on on um on YouTube, the day they were the day they were performing that at the concert, there was a a bombing at a Remembrance Day parade in Anniskillen. Yeah, and um, Bono went on stage and said, "You know, I'm sick and tired of hearing Americans talking about fighting for the cause. What cause? To kill pensioners in the streets with bombs? It's not your cause, right. America. 
unless your parents came over directly from Ireland, you're too far removed, and you need to keep your nose in your own business. Well, that's the thing he said. How many of you even been to Ireland? No, talk, talk about the cause. Well, it's just like the the Irish Mafia in Boston were huge supporters of the IRA. Noraid yeah, was a big thing. Yeah, because Whitey were, Bulger got caught sending a boat full of weapons yep. over there. And that's that's a problem that Bono had. Noraid would come to their concerts mm-hmm. to do fundraising to get money to send weapons back to Northern yeah. Ireland. He said, well, "You're not using our concerts yeah. as a place to, to raise funds for terrorism." Yeah, I'm sorry. Keep no, going. no, no. And that's basically what it is. If you call it anything else other than terrorism, you're you're fooling yourself so after this is really when the armed conflict kicked off and what we commonly know as the troubles in northern ireland this is when a lot especially belfast Derry, became war zones i mean there's no other way to put it it no. was a it was an actual war zone yes they they would have shootings bombings in the streets innocent people killed um and this is not only the IRA or the provisional IRA or the official IRA or whatever version of the IRA. It was also the Protestants. The Protestants had the, the um. Go ahead. UDF and UVF. Right. They had the uh, Ulster Volunteer Force and then the Ulster Defense, Defense Force. Force. Right. Kind of like how the IRA splintered into fifty different things. That's kind of what happened there. So you did have par- paramilitaries on the um, British English side. Who you know. I kind of think there's a lot of truth in this. Colluded with the British soldiers and the RUC, which is the Royal Ulster Constabulary, which is yeah. the police force. Basically. It was state-funded terrorism. Yes. Um, and this is when you start seeing people, I mean, you start hearing of the bombs. And these areas that people lived in, it was not uncommon for Catholics and Protestants to live near each other, just like now. But that soon ended because if you were in a mainly Catholic area and they found out and you were Protestant, you got run out and vice versa. So now if you go to Derry or or Belfast, I have not been there personally, I have to say. It is somewhere I would like to visit, but I have not been there. But from what I've seen, they still have these huge, they call them peace walls. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're just, they, they wall in these areas to keep people away from each other because you have to think of how homes and buildings are, especially in Europe, it's a lot older than what we have. So there's not all this space. I would basically say think of, uh, I would think of somewhere like New York City or a big city, San Francisco, you know, where you see all these houses that are boom, 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 right? And then even when they're across the street, they're not that far apart from each other. So imagine that one side of the street is Catholic and one side of the street is Protestant. Up goes Peace Wall. And um, and when she says peace wall, it's literally just it's it's twenty foot wall running through Trump communities. Trump would be so jealous of these walls. <laughs> he so wants to put this on the border of Mexico. Like th- that's what we're talking about. Yeah, they're they're something else. They tower over everything. But it was to it was to keep peace in a sense to keep people away from each other. So this continues really the seventies. Kind of we had. I would say late 70s, early 80s would uh, kind of be the height of it all. It's was still pretty bad even after that, but that's when we have our hunger strikes. I uh, don't know if anybody's ever heard of Bobby Sands. Um, he was taken as a criminal. He wanted to be considered as a political prisoner, as did all the, you know, he was IRA, all these people. Well, and- he was elected as MP. Well, that was after... That's why he was in jail, I guess. Yes, he was right for you. Yeah. 
But um, and part of their argument was we're political prisoners, so we should be able to wear our own clothes, do all this, and they had one uh, hunger strike. Kind of didn't go well. They kind of called it off because they thought the government was going to meet their demands, and they didn't. And then they did it again. The different, the big difference between the two, the first one. Everybody started at the same time. The second one, they staggered it because they thought, mm, the longer we can draw this out, the better. Yeah. So um, during all this, while Bobby Sands is on his hunger strike, he is elected as an MP for Parliament, which is basically like would be our Congress. Congress, yeah. Be more like the House of Representatives, right. I think, more than the Senate. Yeah, they're like the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Lords and whatnot. Yeah. So he was elected to that while he was in prison and died just a few days later. He died 66 days after he started. There's a documentary about it. I, I, I saw it on Netflix. It may still be on there, 66 days. Well, you could YouTube just about anything. Yeah. Or if, if you just want to get an idea of what was going on there, uh, just look up the H Block is what it was called. Yep. That's where they kept. Kept these these and this IRA is members not whatnot. At, I know we talked about Kilmainham Jail earlier. No, no. This was somewhere else. It this was not Kilmainham Jail. So yeah, H Block, and just read about Bobby Sands. He's a, a very fascinating guy to, to read yeah. about. But they elected him so when Parliament convened, that seat would be empty as representation. I think it turned over six or seven times. Yeah. During that time, because I think everybody, it, it, Bobby Sands was the first to die, but unfortunately not the only one to die in the hunger strike. There were one or two where the family stepped in and said, we're not going to let this happen. So they basically put them on, on an IV, kind of a force feed thing to save their lives. Well, no, Margaret Thatcher had a had a, had the chance to, to give Bobby Sands uh, political prisoner status, and she refused to do it. Bitch. I'm not a fan of Margaret Thatcher, but I don't necessarily disagree with everything she did. Go ahead. But, um, so that was kind of the height of it all. But then we go into the 80s again. And it doesn't get any worse, but it really doesn't get much better. You get a little bit better. You have more and more people that are just tired. You know, they're tired of, of this always going on. They're tired of basically losing their country well it's 20 years of urban warfare and terrorism oh yeah absolutely and really if you go centuries before that right so but the ira started getting uh big weapons they were getting like anti-aircraft guns shooting down chinook helicopters and stuff yes i mean they were not this wasn't some ragtag group of Mm -mm. like like, you know weekend warrior militia guys these guys were armed to the teeth by a bunch of different countries and some of those might be america and libya and libya oh yeah uh Muammar gaddafi, gaddafi invited them to come train <laughs> come train in libya. in libya which if you don't know libya is in northern africa and it's, it's a, a desert, desert. <laughs> which is not anything like northern Ireland. so the people that went there to train ended up leaving like a weekend because they're like i don't think it was a week it yeah, went there it's long. like desert warfare is totally different than <laughs> urban warfare in northern ireland um but, uh, oh, God, I forgot what I was going to say. 80s. The 80s. Wouldn't get any better. Wasn't getting better. Wasn't getting any worse. 
Um, bombings, I will say, probably got worse in they the 80s know. because that's another, you know, technology. It lets you shrink things down. And well, these bombings weren't just happening in Northern Ireland. No, they were happening in... They were happening in, in England. In Dublin and London and Birmingham, Birmingham, I think, maybe Liverpool. They were happening all over. Um, and innocent people were dying because of this. Even uh, there was one that went off in Dublin that killed people who were Irish. Yeah, you they, know? they weren't just bombing like... Uh, a police station or a military no. outpost. They were bombing banks. They were bombing theaters. They were bombing. This was this was this was dyed in the wool, wool homegrown terrorism. Period. Absolutely for the cause. For the cause. Well, oh, that's what I was going to say. Not only were they armed with all that, they were armed with a cause, which makes them more dangerous. Because right. you just they had a rallying cry. Yeah, they had a rallying cry, which I think one of the reasons it really didn't get worse than it did. Is because of all the fracturing and yeah. all the 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 Catholic side breaking up and oh I don't like that you're doing this you're too militant or you're not militant enough I think that may be the reason they really never could come together as one because they were battling each other yeah the un- whole time. unlike like a group like um, Al Qaeda yeah well they may be different different chapters of them they're, they're all still, still pretty good and united they usually mm-hmm. fight pretty well together there's not a big power struggle Mm-mm. and in the IRA that happened over and over and over and over. It just yes. kept splintering. Yes. It just that it just kept splintering and then people oh well I don't like Joe Blow because they did this and so that's probably the reason why honestly they never were able. Never got traction. Never really got they would make temporary traction, but then innocent people would die on both sides and then that turns you against it. Like if your family member died like innocent children. Mm-hmm died for no reason that would turn you against it. So I think the wave of public opinion definitely started to shift. I mean, it did make some people on both sides more hardline. But overall, people were just tired. Who wants to live in a war zone? I mean, it makes me think of Sarajevo, too. You know, and for anybody who remembers Sarajevo in the the 90s, it, it was very much kind of that. But, um... People start getting tired. People are wanting out. They're like, over it. They're, they're just completely over it. People, these uh, IRA, UVF, UDF, maybe not the UDF and UVF so much. They've still kind of had their backing because they never splintered and fractured nearly as much as, as the Catholics did. But um, people, it, it, they were losing support, basically. There was nothing they could do. Oh, we didn't even talk about the propaganda, the murals. Oh, the murals Belfast. is a whole other ball game. That's and dairy. They have them in dairy, dairy too, as well. Yeah, uh, sides of buildings, the peace walls themselves, littered with. You could tell what area you oh, were yes. in by the mural. But um, the juxtaposition. There's a huge the two one of, of Bobby Sands. Bob, Bobby, it seems like all the IRA ones were. Um, Remember what we're fighting for, and it was pictures of the people who were who were killed at Kilmanham Jail. Pictures of Bobby Sands, pictures of all these people. Yeah, you know. And then you have the UVF and UVA, where it's crossed AK forty sevens, guys in balaclavas. You know, it's 
it protection. Was, it, We're protecting ours. It was so. It was so different. Uh, you can look them up online. Just look up uh, Northern Ireland murals. I think actually now it's a tourist industry up there. Yeah. You can <laughs> get a tour where you can go go through them, and some of them are pretty amazing, and some of them are actually peace now. Mm-hmm. That's you know they're they're not. They still have kept all the old ones and just for, you know, historical purposes, but they have a whole bunch of new ones too that aren't quite so violent. But they do. They start losing they start losing their traction, they stop losing they, the people. And slowly I think this is something that people have been working at, especially the United States, probably tired of being in the damn middle, like people, we gotta figure this shit out. Yeah. Like, we just can't keep going down this road. So, it's really starting in the early to mid-90s, there started being talks. Like, we, we've got to stop this. we got to figure this out. Who was the guy under Clinton who helped like, kind of spearhead those talks? I forgot who what his name I was. I can't even think. Yeah, but he was the one that kind of brought together the leadership If you said his name, I would know sides. who he was, yeah. yeah. It was an American yeah. uh, diplomat, or, yeah. or, a, or maybe... maybe <sighs> Might have been Secretary, Secretary of State, State something. maybe. Something. Went over he was and, up there. And he he up there. pretty much brought these groups together. Hey, let's get this. Let's get this mm-hmm. sorted out. So that starts happening. They start, you know, they're kind of back and forth, peace talks here and there. Bombings do pick up a little bit again. Um, probably mid nineties, ninety five ish, ninety six ish. But then in nineteen ninety eight, early nineteen ninety eight. IRA called a ceasefire and said we're we we're no longer at war with with whoever you know the Invisible Man. We're no longer at war with them. And celebration in the streets, almost like I would compare it, not quite the magnitude, but of you know you see Victory in Europe days, right? You know you see all those old pictures from the forties where people are celebrating in the streets, the sailor kissing the woman, the, yes, the old, the old or the Berlin, Wall the Berlin Wall falling. Down. I don't know if any of y'all remember that in the late eighties. <laughs> I remember I it. Remember it. <laughs> and. Um, they end up coming up with the Good Friday Agreement, right. which was Good Friday basically, Accords. Yeah, yep. Good Friday Accords, which was actually voted on, FYI, by Ireland and Northern Ireland. So, and I think it was passed with 70% in Northern Ireland, which I think when I first read that percentage, it kind of surprised me because I, I knew it passed, so I knew it had to have 50 plus percent. That speaks but volumes. 70%. Of how much these people were tired. 40 years. Years yes. of non-stop violence. Well, you get that little taste of non-violence. But then, on the flip side of that, you still had 30% who were hardliners. Mm. Yep. So, that goes to show you. Um, things in Northern Ireland have gotten much better. Uh, you can visit there now. It, don't, it doesn't seem to be as a divisive thing. Among the majority of the people there. Yeah, among there the are, majority. There are some splinter groups that are, that are still... Fight for the cause, fight for this, fight for that. They're dying off. Um, yeah, one of the bigger groups now is more is more Antifa, pro communist leaning, which is still, what a lot of the original people in the Easter Rebellion in 1916 were really socialists mm-hmm. and communists. That's really what they were. Well, I mean, we think of it just just kind of folded Fein, into nationalism. Sinn Fein is is more of a Democratic Shin- Socialist yes. Party to begin with. Sinn Féin, I don't know. You remember me talking about Sinn Féin at the beginning. 
is still a political group. Mm-hmm. And just about three weeks ago, they they now hold the majority of seats in Northern Ireland, yep. which is absolutely like mind blowing. It's mind blowing that Sinn Fein, the nationalists, hold that. Yeah, Sinn Fein, you got to remember, Sinn Fein is very pro Republic of Ireland. Oh, very Sinn pro Fein free state. was basically the political arm of the IRA right. and for so, thirty and, years, and now in twenty twenty two, they are. They have the majority of parliament in Northern Ireland, which is yes. amazing. It's almost just it, people are in shock. It's got some Protestants. Mm-hmm. Some, I think the leading party for the Protestants in Northern Ireland is called the DUP, the Democratic Ulster Party. Right. And it's got some of them on edge, um, like what's going to happen with us. But I think we're now... 20-plus years out from the Good Friday Accords, which blows my mind a little bit. But you think the people who are kids now in their 20s, this is all they've ever known. Yep. They're not going to want to go back to war. No, no. They're not. I mean, you're still going to have your hardliners just like we have our hardliners here. Hello, January 6th. I'm not even going to talk about it. Um, well, do you think Do you think now that they have, is there any way England will ever give up that power in Northern Ireland and make a true united Irish state? I think England would be okay with it. But the British Protestants in Northern Ireland are not okay with it. I think Britain, absolutely, England, let's say England, would absolutely do it. I I, I really don't, especially now with Brexit, where Northern Ireland is a sticking point. I could see them just being like, you know what, guys, go do your hot thing. They're talking about putting up the the, uh, border roadblocks again. Well, they moved. Did you know this, where they moved the, the border? No. It's a sea border now. It's not a land border. So are they still able to f- travel freely between Pretty much, the yes, because the border is now in the sea, in okay. the Irish Sea, in between England and Ireland. So that way you don't have that hard border crossing. Gotcha. Unionists don't like it, though. Well, of course not. That is becoming a rallying point for them. But I, I do. I think I do not think England would have at, at this point would have a problem giving up it's Northern a Ireland. The, the people up there. It's the, it's the people. They don't minds. want it. They don't want it. They consider themselves fully British, and I don't know. I, I wish England would do it. I, I don't think it's as easy as we make it sound. It's it not, never will be. It's like trying to make Puerto Rico a state. Yeah, it's just. What are you going to do? Yeah. Now the the um, now that we're getting you know a Catholic majority in their government, maybe things will change. I don't know, but I think if the point is pushed too far, just like anywhere, hardliners will push moderates. People who are like moderate, you know, like your moderate Protestants, they're like, hey, you know, those people do their thing. Like I'm okay with Catholics, and overall, most people really are, but um. If it starts coming push to shove, they're going to start shoving that propaganda in your face. And I hate to use this analogy again for any Republicans. I'm so sorry. But it could become very Trumpian, if you know what I mean. It's just going to, be, it's just, it's going to become um, – they're going to use that – like we said in Rally and Cry. Anything you can use – any kind of propaganda you can use to push the moderates in, into a harder position. Yes. It's one of those interesting points uh, that you can kind of – this very, very rarely happens in that in while you're living it, 
you could see mm, this could be a real turning point. This could be a watershed one way or the well, it could be a watershed if they decided to join with Ireland again. Have a united that, Ireland. That could be a watershed moment. Whereas I don't necessarily think it'll be a watershed if they don't, but that it's very, very interesting to watch and to hear the people who are actually there talk about it. And I recommend anybody really read about it because it is double domestic terrorism. It, it, I just, I can't imagine the bloods versus the Crips cranked to a thousand. Yes. It's not just it's not random acts with of violence. a cause. Yeah, more than I'm a blood or I'm a crip. Yeah. Not saying this like is, don't come after me, people. They're but, doing it for their religion and for the country, for yes. God and country. Yeah, on both for sides. God and country on both sides. Two different religions, two different country. Well, same religion, different flavor. But um, it it really and honestly, if you even think of gangs, the shit that the IRA and the UDF UVF did to people, yeah, you don't even you don't even want to know. That when they would Hostages, think somebody would turn inter- on them, yes. or was a mole, uh, they. And that's where a lot of the violence became very indiscriminate. Somebody told somebody else that that per- they saw that person talking to somebody else they shouldn't be talking mm-hmm. to, just on word of mouth. They would go shoot, they would knock on the door in the middle of the night, snatch them up, and take them out and kill them, or put a bomb outside their house. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, kaboom. Well, they have a group of people. I think it's about ten or eleven, maybe more. It's called the disappeared. Of one of which, whose name was Jean McConville, and this was in the mid-80s, I think. Widowed Catholic mother of 10, who the IRA accused of, I believe they thought she was using like a ham radio or something to transmit things to the British forces. She 100% wasn't, but somebody had said something about it, and they took her out of her house in the middle of the night. And they didn't find her body for 30 years. And her kids were in the house. Her kids weren't grown. Her kids were young. Mother of 10. And they have since come back and apologized for it. But that's where kind of turning points happen. Or those 10 kids, it doesn't matter if the IRA came and offered them $10 billion. They would say, go fuck yourself. And that's what happens. That's how opinion changes. And that's how how you just radicalize a whole other generation, too. Mm -hmm. For the other side. Yeah. Or radicalize them to peace. Like, we don't want this. We don't want anybody. I don't want my kids to have to live through this. But it, it is. It's a very interesting. And um, I would also recommend one of my favorite shows. Oh, that's, what the, that's what I was about to get into. That. Give me some media, some books, movies, shows. Go ahead. I know what you're going to say. but You know what it. I'm going to say. So it's on Netflix, and it's called Dairy Girls. D-E-R-R-Y Girls. It is based in Derry in the mid to late 90s, and it basically follows a group of teenage kids, and I would have been their age. And I think that's a huge appeal of it to me is the music and everything. But it kind of walks you through and shows you how the normal, well, even their parents. Yeah, normal people. And it's a funny show. It's not serious. Like, it's a comedy, and it's funny, and I highly recommend it, especially if you're a girl that was about that age in the 90s. But it shows you how they dealt with it and how life was so different. And how they, you know. Where you could go and where you couldn't go. Well, they would take this school bus to, a bus to school, and they would be stopped at checkpoints, and soldiers would get on the bus and search. Yep. Make sure there were no bombs. Or you would see these checkpoints all throughout the city, and how they just thought it was completely normal. Well, the problem was a lot of those checkpoints in, at night turned in UF, UV, <laughs> UVF. Or, it's either UVF, UVF or, U, yeah. or UDF. UDF or UDF. 
checkpoints. Where there's guys in balaclavas who are probably your neighbor. Yeah. Stashing people out of cars. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you had this where they just thought these these things were normal. There's one where they're in a movie theater and somebody Lights called in off. a bomb threat. <laughs> and they have to empty. And it's, uh, yeah. you know, and then they can't figure out how the movie ended. But it's it's very, very interesting and gives you that input with humor. It's not heavy. I mean, you have a few heavier moments, but it kind of gives you that viewpoint of what that was their normal. Mm-hmm. That's all they knew. Um, Anything else you want to recommend? I got some on to recommend. Recommend, if you want to know about, more about Michael Collins, watch the movie Michael Collins with Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Very good movie. Also, a lesser-known movie that I loved, The Wind That Shakes the Barley. It's very, very good. It's it's filmed from the standpoint of a common person um, who took up arms to to fight for the IRA, and, and once the um, agreement was signed, they weren't happy with it, and they became, never make everybody happy. Right. When the when the wind that shakes the barley, fantastic. Then that have Kieran Murphy in it, who's in Peaky Blinders. That's it. Yep. Highly recommend Peaky Blinders too, even though that, which, uh, they were Northern Ireland, uh, not Northern Ireland, Northern English. Um, totally recommend that too. That was really, really good. Anything else? But, um, no, just, just before you turn on somebody or something like religion, ethnicity, realize how that can go. Go sideways so really quick. So horribly wrong. Yep. So horribly wrong. Anybody who is a hard line on either side, and I mean this, whether you're, Antifa or QAnon, you're wrong. Yeah. You're wrong. Um, most people are not hardliners, but that's where that gets you. So think about that before you make that decision. Do you want war for generations? I don't think so. Yeah. And um, I highly recommend visiting uh, Ireland if yes, you ever have go the to chance. I- if you get a chance, go to Ireland. Gorgeous. I mean, Dublin is another major city. A lot of history. A lot of history there and everything, but the countryside is is gorgeous. Great people, and good food. Uh, good food, just and, and just beautiful. And leave it to us to find the one restaurant in Dublin, Ireland that did not serve Guinness. <laughs> yes, that happened. <laughs> well, we got over. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hango Show. Be sure to go by tripodbroadcasting dot com to check out all the shows in the network. Also, go by and check out our sponsors at evils dot com. E-A-B-L-E-S, where you can save 15% on your next purchase with the promo code HANGO. Also, go by and check out MyDelta8.com. Tank Hun, I love you. I love you. (laughs) I love all y'all out there for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.